Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. All right, welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown, the new look Huddle Breakdown, if you're watching on YouTube. If you're not watching on YouTube and you're just listening, we sound the exact same. But if you check out, we've got some new fancy graphics going on on the on the YouTube stream. So check out the YouTube at The Call within The Call if you want to watch the podcast instead. We're looking back at the Scottish Cup this week, the 3-0 win against Falkirk, a fairly comprehensive win. And Celtic actually deserved to win a football match, which is pretty nice. Juco James and Al Morrison are with me as always. Lads, thanks for joining me. Yeah, hi. And I'll apologise now because I'm going to get distracted with all these rolling things going around the screen. So I'm going to be like a dog trying to chase a ball, you know. <laughs> not used yeah. to all this tech. <laughs> with, with this fancy new tech end, I mean, I got a haircut and look at this balding spot. This is a this is a nightmare. So can we can you use some of this fancy young guy tech stuff to maybe draw some hair in? I don't think we have deep uh, fix just yet. We're we're moving up in the world, but I have the opposite problem of you right now, and I know this is the biggest you know young person problem of all time. But <laughs> I can't get a I can't get a haircut, so my hair is getting too long. I, I I've I've too little ball spots going on, and I just I just don't know what to do. The hairdressers aren't going to be open, the, or the barbers, if wh- whichever you use, aren't going to be open for like another month, maybe two really? months in Ireland. Oh. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, we've we gone full on lockdown in terms of we are level five forever until we're not. It's it's no longer, they've abandoned the, you know, the level one, level two, level three, level four. It's just level five until we're not level five now. But I guess people aren't here to listen about COVID. People are here to listen about Celtic and their 3-0 win against Falkirk. I don't think anybody expected a performance as dominant as this. I do think we expected Celtic to dominate the game. But, Really and truly, this was probably the best Celtic performance. I know you're talking about levels of opposition, but in terms of dominance, we haven't seen Celtic dominate a game like this all season, really. No. Alan, go ahead. I, I you, Again, we, with Falkirk as the enemy, you should, uh, you should go first here. <laughs> so, yeah, context is, is everything. Um, so, in terms of, you know, how... What sort of opposition were at Falkirk? Well, first of all, the biggest surprise, I think you think the big surprise that Falkirk were dominant. The biggest surprise to me was that Falkirk, the team that Falkirk actually chose. So um, they made eight changes from their, uh, you know, just for, again, for context, they're battling at the top of uh, SPFL League One. Um, they're trying to get back into the championship, which is probably where they should be as a minimum as a, for a club that size. Uh, and they um, they made eight changes and they brought in some lads, literally you know, teenagers, really, uh, who are not even not even their players. I mean, Falkirk have had a had a had a great youth system for years, which they disbanded, which was a very controversial decision. And the kids that they brought in, some of them were not even are not even Falkirk players; they're on loan. From um, and they even had a, a a kid from the Rangers, a lad called McClelland, who played pretty well, um, and a lad Deveni as well, who's on loan. So they they they, they dropped players like Alston and Gomez, who are experienced um, Premier League players actually, uh, for you know in preference to these kids, they had Fothering in the midfield, who's a eighteen nineteen year old from Dundee United. So 
that was a really uh, brave call from them. I say brave, uh, you know, they were really looking ahead to the midweek game that they had last night against Airdrie, uh, which they lost. So it didn't do them any good at all. So I think it was a That's bit strange. Plans. Yeah, I know. Well, why didn't they just pick the best team and, and have a bit more of a, a go at it, um, really? So so to give you the context, I mean, this was as dominant as a, a game as I've ever captured uh, in the sort of six years that I've been collecting data at the very granular level. You're really looking at an opposition equivalent to, I think, Albion Rovers or Linfield would be the two that spring to mind in, in recent years as being just... But it, I mean, Falkirk didn't even do a very aggressive defensive formation. They, they actually played with two people up front for most of the game. And then Salmon sort of dropped, uh, kind of left uh, later on. So this was just utter, utter dominance, really. Having said all that, you know, Celtic probably got pretty much what they deserved, a 3 nothing victory. We had to be you know, patient, no goals in the first half. Um, expected goals was was five, but if you look at shots on target, of which there were nine, uh, that equates to around about three expected goals. If you look at post post uh, xG shots on target, the keeper made three saves uh, and let three in, uh, so that you know he, he actually had about an average game with six saves. Um, you know, I, I, I logged thirty nine shots overall. I think the BBC had forty two. Y Scout had forty one. Which uh, I'll say no more than that. <laughs> that is a warning, really, if you're going to you know purchase data. Um, Eighty seventy eight percent possession. Uh, 57 touches in the box compared to... They had, they had none. As well as zero shots, they had actually no <laughs> no touches in the box. I don't know what, what more there is to say. The other the other slightly interesting stat that I have to throw at you is the fact that they only committed three fouls as well. I mean, some of that probably is the John Beaton factor maybe, but some of it is also the fact that, you know, this really wasn't a priority for them. They did their best, as I say. I think the lad, the lad at the back, McClelland, who's actually you know uh, an Ibrox starlet, uh, actually had a pretty good game, and he was really up for it, and he was he was giving it the Chris Ayers every time he cleared the ball. And fair play to the lad; he had, he had a pretty pretty good game. But otherwise, I, I don't think there was much else apart from Much's six saves to note from the opposition. Certainly, mm. yeah, James, a lot of shots for Celtic, a lot, and I saw a thing going around on Twitter. Uh, earlier today off Ryan Christie's shot map from this game and it was it was as we say on this show it was just a typical Ryan Christie performance really he got he got one goal but he, he how many shots did he hit outside of the box alone I, yeah. I think it was five out of six two two of them were just slightly outside the box yeah. um, I, had three out of, I had three out of five because three out of five because yeah. yeah. two of them were on the line and right. the, line, the line is in the box right so yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I, as far as Christie egregiousness goes, it wasn't one that was particularly bad no. for me, particularly given the opposition and kind of his prorated percentage of shots. You know, when he's taking nine shots out of our 20, that's a little bit different than uh, six out of 40 or whatever, whatever, 39. Um, I think I, I had reviewed a couple, a couple of his shots. I think probably the, the things that were um, – you could be most critical about is Turnbull was basically wide open central on two of them. And, you know, he, he just loves to come in on that left foot and he's, he's got his head down. Um, you know, so he just, he doesn't have his, he never seems to have his head up when he gets into that shoot mode. So he kind of loses any kind of spatial awareness of teammates that, uh, could be in threatening areas, but yeah, you know, it, it was, um, I, I personally, I don't find those kind of games enjoyable. It's just, you know, I always joke with this kind of thing. It's kind of like uh, Billy Madison playing dodgeball in, uh, in the first grade or whatever it was. Um, I mean, it's, it's you know, it, it's almost not really a competitive um, game. I mean, it, it's it's almost like an exhibition, like the Harlem Globetrotters or something. It's just such a disparity in, in quality. Uh, so... You know, I, I didn't have the level of awareness as Alan did uh, as far as the changes that they made. I mean, it, during the broadcast, they started highlighting um, the relative youth of some of the kids that they had playing. So, again, given, you know, they're playing 17-year-olds and that kind of thing. I mean, credit to them. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's just an amazing thing for them to be taking that on at that point. Um, you know, wh- whether or not there was fitness issues, there was talk of a, a jetty having a knock, but 
you know, we, our finishing just wasn't great again, which has been kind of symptomatic the whole the whole season. Uh, Griffiths having some difficulty with some good chances. Uh, would have liked to have seen Brown finish that one late. That would have been cool. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just one of those games where it's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. Well, that was the one, that Brown chance was the one, the only one I logged as, as, as what they call a big chance, right? He was he was three with the only the keeper to be keeper made a good save, but you know all the all the shots that Celtic had, none of them were really what you call great chances. Um, in fact, interestingly, uh, I think one of the highlights for me was the fact that you know you, you saw Forrest returning to some semblance of form. Forrest actually had ten shots at goal, <laughs> um, seven were inside the box. Uh, he actually had possession of the ball fifteen times inside the box, which is incredible. Um, so, you know, but he only got, he only had one shot on target, which was his, his goal. Um, you know, he had, uh, you know, four off target, three, three were uh, blocked. Uh, sorry. So, um, yeah, yeah. So eight shots, sorry. I'm looking at the wrong call. Eight shots he had in total. So yeah, that, that was a pretty good to see him back. Um, and the other person who kind of hasn't been playing a lot, who, who posted great numbers was, was actually Rogic. So Rogic was my kind of boy of the match. I mean, he had, um, it was actually him. Him, Forrest, and Turnbull all had expected scoring contributions of, of just over one point seven, which is pretty impressive. Especially as you know, Rogic and Forrest didn't actually play the full the full game. Um, Rogic created um, eight eight chances and and plus one assist, so nine chances overall. Uh, so that, that that for me that was that was pretty impressive. So yeah, yeah those two, those two, and I know they like playing together. And they're good friends. Um, but those two are probably the bright spots, I would say. I, I've thought of two tangents that we could go on in terms of some of the things you just touched on. One of them is, you know, the fact that Celtic could have played the boys in that game as well, except they've loaned the majority off them out. So that's that's a broader talking point. But I think James Forrest is someone that we haven't spoken about for good reason because he hasn't really been playing. But I've always I've I've wondered a couple of times this year what difference James Forrest would have made because I, I know a lot of people don't really like James Forrest for, you know, pretty obvious reasons in terms of his game. But it w- does his data from previous years suggest that he would have made a big difference had he been fit this year? Yeah, I mean, it's, he's he's posted great numbers the last, he's, you know, he's had a real golden period of his career, I suppose, where he's, he's he seemed to get, get get over his muscle, leg muscle injuries and, and put in, you know, dedicated shifts in the team. Um, and, 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 you know, a front three of him and uh, Sinclair and Dembele and then Edward have been very, pretty effective over the last two to three years. And, and he's been he's shown a remarkable degree of consistency in terms of goals and assists and actual output. And and where where he had changed his game slightly, and especially under Rogers, was obviously the the two wide attacking players in a front sort of nominal front three, they were encouraged to actually get, you know play quite narrow at times and get into the box a lot, and uh, you know he, he didn't score for Scotland for his first I don't know twenty game twenty caps maybe, and then suddenly hit a, a peak uh, of of goal a rush of goals and again in the last two to three years and again. By cutting in and playing more centrally, so so I think yes, definitely Celtic have missed that because actually there's been no equivalent player on the right hand side. So that's been a real, I mean, the, the problem that Celtic have got width wise uh, have been chronic this season. You know, and we've talked about the fullbacks uh, many times, and they, they've been no mitigation to missing that wide threat that the likes of Forrest, um, you know, provides. You know, he's always going to get criticism because he's a wide player and by definition wide players don't get on the ball as much and therefore are seen to be less consistent. Forrest is probably as consistent a wide player, I think, as you're likely to get. He's a, he's pretty steady in you know in, in, in his game most of the time. He doesn't always make great decisions. So yeah, he's definitely been a miss. Players, well, when you're having a bad season like this in, as a team, players like Forrest tend to become even more inflated in people's minds as to how valuable they were. That always mm-hmm. happens. I would still say, if, if, you, if, you, you know, if you wanted to answer that question, uh, for me, Julian and, for, and Forrester are the two huge misses this season over any any other players, really. 
Um, but but there's so many problems that we could we could talk about. We have done, so, but mm-hmm. uh, it's only having Forrest back at this stage of the season has got to be a plus. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I'm definitely not sitting here saying that if James Forrest was fit for the season, that you know he's that that sort of uh, transient player that's going to completely change how Celtic were playing. But I, I do think he would have made a difference because of the flaws that we've had in terms of this game. Then this game, then James, what else do you want to talk about? Where are you looking at this? Well, I'll touch on Forrest quick. So I think that Forrest's injury to me re- represents a few things. Um, the first one is the lack of any recruitment of a winger. Uh, and I, I think that that, um, you know, his, his injury exposed the lack of depth in that regard and highlights that the uh, the strategy coming into the season was likely 3-5-2 and that the you know, as as we've talked about over and over again, the relative incoherence maybe of um, the recruitment within that context. But I, I think he's kind of the pivot guy in that, meaning that uh, it, w- with him coming down with that long-term injury, um, I guess it was late August, wasn't it, or early September, and and that really eliminated the flexibility um, to do do anything other than what they ended up doing, which was kind of stick three five two and then pivot to the four four two diamond because of the lack of uh, viable options on at, at, with wingers, particularly with Mikey Johnson being hurt the way he's been. So um, I think he would have made a huge difference because uh, it, you know, not 20 points difference. I mean, for any individual player, you know, outside of uh, you know, a, a huge world-class keeper that might, you know, maybe seven or eight points, that kind of difference in a season, you know, you're probably talking maybe two, three points, maybe four uh, for a massive upgrade in one position over what what a player would, you know, kind of a replacement level player, as they would put it in analytics. So, um, you know, it's certainly not enough to make a meaningful dent in, in the title race. But um, I think as far as the, the ability to be flexible in how to play intra-game, making not that Lennon would have done it, but, you know, having that tactical flexibility to make, you know, real changes that aren't like for like, you know, and that, that's kind of been the plague of the season, I think. On, and we've talked about it over and over again with subs is that they tend to be like for like and don't really change all that much. Uh, it's kind of just hope someone else comes in and does something brilliantly individually. Um, so I, I think having a forest in the mix, you know, could have really, changed how much flexibility that we had as far as tweaking um, tactics in intra-game. Uh, the other thing I think about with Forrest is, uh, and I put a thread out on this last week, is you know he's already uh, going to be entering his age 30 season, which is getting old for a winger. And um, so I, I hope that he's able to kind of evolve his game and that there's some kind of a positional um, existence for him that isn't just a pure winger as we move forward in the next year or two. Because uh, he's, you know, I've, I've, I showed it in my thread. He's already started to show signs of decline in Europe against better opposition as far as output um, over the last couple of seasons. So that's probably not going to get better. And to Alan's point, the last few years he's been – elite in his Mm. fitness levels and his output and you know if he's at an elite level and he's starting to show kind of signs of early stage decline against higher level opponents then that's probably not going to get better over the next couple of years um so i mean i love forrest i he's one of my been one of my favorite players just just as kind of a, a fan and a supporter um so whether that's you know kind of an inside inverted forward or uh you know um, some of these uh, uh, formations like three four two one, like the national team, the Scotland national team, starting to play a lot with Christie and and uh, McGinn, kind of dual tens. I could see him playing that kind of role. Um, so he's just a terrific, terrific footballer. I hope that he can evolve. Um, I'm just not sure it's going to be, you know, he's going to stay out there on the wing and put up 15 goals and 20 assists. Um, no like he put up the last few years. No, I'd, I'd have my doubts about whether he can evolve as well, just because of the type of player that he is. And age comes after these players as quick as any player on the pitch, because what Forrest relies on a lot of the time is 
getting the ball past the defender, beating the defender with pace and then getting across into the box. And when you lose your pace, when you start getting injuries at this age, it just doesn't work out for you, unfortunately. Alan, I think you wanted to come in on something James was saying there, did you? Well, I, I was just one, one other thing I'd just add to that on Forrest is that, I mean, I still th- think that he's been used in Scotland a couple of times as a striker, actually, as like a second striker. And I think there's a, there's some merit in that because James Forrest running at you centrally, you know, even at, even a slightly age regress Forrest would still be a pretty powerful weapon to have. Um, you know, I don't think he's got this sort of hold up uh, physical game to play a sort of traditional striker role, but as a second striker, um, yeah, I think he, that that you know almost a sort of Ronaldo esque, you know, from an out and out winger to a more of a central presence could be something that he that could be considered. But the problem is that you know Celtic have got so many tens that occupy that kind of space and second striker type. Even our, even our strikers are really second strikers. Edward and Griffiths are actually very similarly profiled profile in that regard as well. So um, there's only really a Yeti that would be an out and out sort of uh, number. Number nine, but um, that, that that would be something I'd think about. The, the other, the, the slightly tangential thing that that occurred to me watching the Falkirk game was more of a. It occurred, it's starting to occur to me that you know when we had the debates pre pre Lennon leaving, you know, what is what is the input from the coaches? How much of the way Celtic play is Lennon asserting his style? What do the others feel about that? I think we're more and more seeing that actually. Kennedy and Lennon were pretty close in how they wanted the team to play. I think there's definitely changes, but if I think about how you know putting Forrest on the left, the fact that Brown played 90 minutes against Falkirk, I mean, what what, what in what way is that progressive for the club? I mean, it's just incredible decision. You know the way that the full. I think there's slight tweaks, right? I think the fullbacks are a little bit more conservative. I think Brown's a little bit more central, and he's he doesn't wander as much. Um, I think the the, the play is a little bit more patient, but I think these are quite subtle changes that Kennedy has implemented. But I think there's some fundamental um, pieces there around lack of trust in the other strikers, the, even the preference of Griffiths over Klamala and Ajeti at times, uh, you know, uh, the continuing use of Brown, the, the lack of trust in Sorrow. These are all these are all things that we complained about and have persisted under Kennedy. So I think well, I think there's been some improvements, but there's been some some things I just don't think have, have really uh, changed. Yeah, there, you could look at that two ways. You could look at it in the pro-Lennon side in, in the sense that, you know, John Kennedy's come in here and Ajeti and Klamala and Sorrow still doesn't fancy it. So maybe there's something that they're not doing in training on the training ground they're not seeing. Or or you can look at it in the same way as you are. And it's a f- equally fair way of looking at it that John Kennedy was part of this camp as well. And that maybe a lot of the things that Neil Lennon believed in, John Kennedy didn't, the reason it wasn't changing was because John Kennedy was keeping it the same way and it's carrying on into this season. Before we finish up then on the Falkirk win then, um, can I get your your boy of the match and your, what, what was the duffer of the match? That's the term that we've yep. gone for the second one. Do we want to go negative? We always go negative or positive first. They always leave it as a, a coin toss. So do you want to go negative or do you want to go positive? It's a 3-0 win, so I think we should go positive. Yeah, I'm going to go positive first. Yeah, I'll, I'll go uh, – I'm going to go with Forrest. Um, m- m- totally selfish reason. It's just uh, enjoyable to see him back for me given the, the – the, you know, the relative lack, although now with the, the game coming up on the 17th, that'll change a little bit. But uh, with most of these games not having all that much about them, um, it's just from a pure pleasure perspective to see him come in and score and and uh, actually have a, a pretty significant role in the game. Um, it was the one part of the game I really enjoyed. So, Alan, your boy of the match? Yeah, I said earlier. Actually, it was uh, Rogic. I mean, to be honest, it was a bit of a coin toss between a toin, uh, coin toss between the two. So um, I would be would have you know Forrest would have been probably my second choice. But yeah, Rogic is a saint. Eight, nine chances he created. One of those was an assist. Um, so his, you know he had an expected his expected assists for the game was one point three, which was significantly higher than anyone else. He also had. Um, you know, two secondary assists to add to that, as well as uh, he had um, what four shots as well. So he racked up a fair one point seven seven sort of expected scoring contribution. So that was pretty cool. He had the highest 
uh, impact scorer of the of the game as well. Twenty five sort of pack events, either passing or receiving, mostly passing. So yeah, for those reasons, I think he was the creative, the main he posted the best creative numbers, I guess, of the team. Mm. It seems quite harsh to come away with a, a duffer of the game because three 0 win in a game that the opposition didn't have a single touch in the box, a single shot, or uh, posted an XG at all in the game. So I think that comes with a caveat that even if it was a bad performance, it's again context is everything to these performances. The con- the performance was not bad enough that it caused a malfunction in the entire team. Yeah, and no, I'll, I'll go with uh, Griffiths for my duffer. Um, part of that's because of I, Alan. You'll have the number. I'm, I think he was over one in XG. Um, so you know, he really should have scored. Um, <laughs> no, Adam point six six point. Well, okay, point six. Okay, well, not as bad as what I saw from Y Scout. Um, so, but I, you know, I was going to say it's, it's as much for me, a, uh, season long achievement award because I haven't <laughs> given him one yet. Um, it, it's just, you know, uh, for, for them to pretty clearly counted on him so much heading into this season and the state of him. Um, I mean, just watching him in that game and in recent games, it's just, he's, he's clearly not up to the task. Um, and he's he's just not doing enough when he's on on the pitch. It's always been an issue as far as his all around game. Um, so, you know, it, it's just uh, for, for him not to score in a game against Falkirk in this season when he's had some. You know, again, he had some decent chances. Um, I think it's kind of a exclamation point on on what's going wrong with him this year. Discover the new three-step pro partial range specifically designed to clean your partials and remaining teeth in three simple steps. Clean your partial, strengthen your natural teeth, protect your whole mouth. Stand up to further tooth loss with Polident Pro Partial, available at Walmart. I'm Elise Hugh. And I'm Josh Klein. We're the hosts of Built for Change, a new podcast from Accenture. The pandemic has radically transformed the way we do business. And now is the time to forge a new path ahead. So what do the world's most innovative leaders think about navigating change? What strategies are working for them? On Built for Change, we'll learn what Accenture has discovered about how businesses can rise to these challenges and find success. Subscribe to Built for Change now so you don't miss an episode. Yeah, just uh, if you look at Lee Griffiths, I mean, he he doesn't look like a player who should be playing for Celtic. Like you know, uh, you know what I'm saying. Like you you there's certain players that carry a little bit extra timber or whatever. But Lee Griffiths said has only once looked like a professional footballer who should be at the standard that Celtic require. And it's just you, you just can't carry these type of players where you're playing at the level of which Celtic are playing. I mean, Lee Griffiths, could he go to a St. Johnson or even higher than that, you know, go to Hibs or someone and be a good player for them? He probably could, yeah. Maybe not at this stage of his career. But for Celtic who want to be playing in Europe, you just can't carry these type of players anymore. And he should be one of the first players to leave the the stadium at the end of the season, in my opinion. Well, so, so somebody posted a video of him on Twitter this week. Uh, I forget. It was probably uh, m- maybe the 15, uh, 2015 um, dial season where he went down the left wing and just whipped in this cross and he actually had pace and not ran a, a fullback to get to the ball. And he put in this incredible ball for a goal. And, it, you know, <laughs> People uh, always back to the cognitive biases. I mean, that 40 goal season anchored him with people, I think, a lot of people. Um, But he just has not been a player at a level that's European level for for literal years now. I mean, it's been several years um, where he just has not performed. And I was was hesitant with him coming in in the 3-5-2 last season. Um, and you know, I gave him plaudits when he performed so well with the caveat that a lot of that had to do with, uh, Edward's brilliance in that setup. And also the run of games was against, you know, lower level teams, kind of bottom six SPFL level where again, um, just not a, a competitive level where he had struggled against in the, in the prior few years. So, 
Uh, you know, I've had the same kind of worries about Rogic over the last two or three years, where again, you see this dip against higher level teams, whether it's um, in Europa League or early Champions League qualifiers, where they just don't do that much when they play. And it's those kind of players that are, you know, th- their total game isn't diverse. You know, they're kind of one or maybe two dimensional type of players. And they seem when that dimension starts to erode a little bit, man, there's just not much there. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's kind of the the fate that's befalled um, Griffith. So, yeah, I, I I actually didn't know his contract situation until this week where the reports were coming out that it was an option year. I thought he had a year left. So I'm, you know, I'm thrilled that it's an option and it can mm-hmm. be quickly declined because to, yeah. to, to spend 20 grand a week on um, him at this as a 31 year old heading into next season. I mean, that, I cannot even imagine that that would be considered uh, mm. seriously or let's hope not. Yeah. And I think like, you know, as you said, there's, there is a player in Lee Griffiths. He, he, he was once a very good striker with pace, with good quality, with uh, set pieces. He has ability, but you know, a lot of personal issues came into his life and his career has sort of derailed a little bit. And, as a club like Celtic, you just can't carry that, in my opinion. You can't carry these type of players. And if Klamala is in the same boat, why are we still why, why are we still bothering with him? Get him out of the club. Same with a Yeti. If you don't want him there, if he doesn't fit the philosophy, get him out of there and give the younger players a chance. I mean, why are we bothering bringing Griffiths into these games, bringing Klamala onto the bench? Give instead of sending Luke O'Connell out on on loan, bring him into the squad. Play him against Falkirk. Same with the likes of Ewan Henderson. Play these young players. See if they're good enough for the club. And just give them a chance over the the deadwood that you know are going to be gone by the end of the season anyway. So I, I'm I find myself getting very frustrated by Celtic playing Griffiths because of those reasons. Alan, in terms of the uh, duffer of the matches, anybody other than Griffiths that stand out, stood out for you as a a lower performer? <laughs> I'm I'm supposed to disagree with James, aren't I? But I couldn't on this occasion, unfortunately. Um, he was already earmarked for that role. I mean, Griffiths has the habit of you know you you watch him and then you see the numbers afterwards and you think, crikey, I didn't realise he, you know, because he's, he's he's actually very efficient in the sense that he, you know when he gets the ball, he doesn't tend to do a lot more than try and score a goal and that sounds very glib but it's actually incredibly powerful and and you know it, I, I used to joke that he he actually had more shots than completed passes and and it, it was kind of a joke but it wasn't far off I mean honestly you'd look at a game you think oh he's, he's only completed nine passes yeah but he's had seven shots at goal you know so that that, that was Lee Griffiths and you know the the, the his speed, although he did have a little bit of a turn of pace, was always usually in his brain and over one or two yards to get space to get that shot off with his left foot, which is is very effective. But you know, I, I was a, I, a, I was stunned that he started because again, what, what you're saying, Endo, which is what 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 are, what are we going to learn about Lee Griffiths playing him against a very young Falkirk team? Surely, you you want to give a Jetty some uh, confidence, or you want to you know, give a young kid, uh, you know, some show what they can do. So, whether whether it's, this is almost like a last throw of the dice, I don't know because you, you know he trudged off after thirty minutes looking exhausted and and pretty deflated actually, uh, and and he, like you say, he didn't look one hundred percent again uh, to me, and he hasn't done for for some time. You know, he did have the the lowest um, expected scoring contribution of all of the front six player, front five players. Uh, really, I mean, Christie was a bit ahead of him, ahead of him. You know, Christie actually, although he didn't have a great game, um, he at least it con- he contributes on on a range of in a range of ways to Celtic that still makes him effective, even if he's not having the greatest game from a shooting perspective. But with Griffiths, you know, he didn't create much. He's he's not on free kicks now, so his creativity is going down. Uh, he created one chance. Um, so his expected assists was very low, point you know point oh three or something, and uh, as I say, he had one shot on target, and and uh, so yeah, it was just uh, yes, he was playing against a deep a deep defence, but he, he actually did as you know James said, he actually got sight of goal central on three occasions, and and his timing was out, and his his, his sharpness just isn't there. And that which makes me even makes me you know think even more. Why did we play him? Because that that sharpness that that would be obvious in training. It would be obvious. Uh, why? So why did we play a 
uh, you know, a non a non sharp uh, Lee Griffiths over others. The others, like you say, must be appalling in training. Frankly, if that's mm-hmm. if that's where we are. If, if Christie was good enough to play striker against Ferenc Faros, I think he was good enough to play against Falkirk. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> why did Why did you remind me of that? I, <laughs> I thought I got past my PTSD. One thing that we do want to talk about, because obviously, you know, as I said, it was a game against Falkirk. It was a a bit of a you know a one sided affair, and one topic that has been you know taken up a few headlines uh, not Celtic related but generally Celtic related is David Turnbull's omission from the Scotland Euro squad and just if you look at their midfield that they've included obviously they've got uh, some some really good talents in there but you've also got John Fleck Ryan Fraser and Kenny McLean now John Fleck playing for the bottom side of the Premier League who didn't win a game pre-Christmas Ryan Fraser who hasn't been playing at all for Newcastle coming off the bench for a couple of appearances and then Kenny McLean who's playing in the championship for obviously he's playing for the the top side Norwich but again you're talking levels here David Turnbull is he being harshly treated here by the Scotland national team should he be in it in terms of his numbers I know we've we've done a Turnbull special but surely he's he's deserving to be there ahead of you know John Fleck yeah, I, I, um, I, I've been on record as being very optimistic about Turnbull long term, but also that I think a lot of people are kind of out over their skis on him in the short term. Uh, Alan's commented, I think, quite a bit on uh, his his output from open play being um, good, but nothing special. And I, I certainly have seen the same thing. Um, I think given what it appears uh, Clark's strategy is going to be with Scotland heading into the Euros, to me it's more a question of roles. And I'm not sure I would see a role for Turnbull where he would displace um, an attacking midfielder. Meaning that I I don't think uh, he's shown enough from a number eight perspective as far as pressing and defending where he would make sense in the system that they're probably going to be deploying against the opposition that they're going to be facing in the group. Um, so you're, you're really talking about, okay, well, what could he come on as a sub maybe to maybe try and score a goal late or facilitate and create? Um, and, you know, is he going to display Stuart Armstrong in that role maybe or John McGinn or Christie, you know, um, now with Che Adams up top? That maybe bumps one of, you know, from they've been going 3-4-2-1 or 3-4-1-2. So they might go more towards the 2-1 there with dual tens with McGinn and, and Christie. Um, and then uh, uh, McTominay with one of the other guys, whether it's uh, McGregor or, you know, somebody like McLean. And that's the thing. I, I don't think those are real apples to apples comparisons. Flex more of a box to box eight from what I can see. And again, I, I don't pretend to have seen him a ton, but just looking at his data, that's kind of what he looks like to me. He's a little bit more aggressive and defending um, than a Turnbull profile. And uh, McLean's a kind of a standard defensive midfielder. I mean, he's, he's actually very efficient defensively. It looks like in tackles and winning duels. And um, so to me, it would be more of a squad composition question. I, I don't think, and Frazier's, you know, a wide guy for the most part. So um so again, I I could see Frazier's being attractive relative to, you know, having a different mix. You know, kind mm. of the big guy, little guy. If you're going to go that direction with uh, Lyndon Dykes and him, maybe uh, if you're going to play two up top. So I I just don't see. Uh, and actually, Fleck Fleck looks pretty good on set pieces. His history and set pieces, taking corners and such with Sheffield. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I'm, just not, I'm just not sure I see a role for Turnbull where, you know, could yeah. throw him on at the end. But again, that young guy from Chelsea, Gilmore. I mean, there's some other guys that you could say, if I'm going to take a flyer and throw a young guy in, what could he bring to the table that could be a game changer relative to what's already there? I mean, I just can't see bringing on Turnbull instead of Stuart Armstrong at this point. Um, if I was Clark, I mean, given the player the profile, playing pretty well, at Southampton, you know, probably putting up a numbers equivalent to what Turnbull's been putting up from open play only in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, 
you know, so it, I, I just don't, I, I can't kill Clark over. I mean, I, I think um, it's probably a green and white glasses type of situation uh, going on to a degree. Uh, but that's pure. I mean, I'd love to see him make it. I'd, I'd love to get to see and watch him in the Euros selfishly as a Celtic supporter. But when I put my analyst hat on, um, you know, it, it makes complete sense to me that he's not part of the squad. Yeah, I think I think people are more egregious about it because, um, you know, Ollie McBurney is in the squad as well. And how, <laughs> how Ollie McBurney is going to the Euros and someone like David Turnbull, who had a really good season, is not, is probably why people have an issue. Alan, I was looking at the Scotland squad, though, and obviously they're at the Euros for a reason, but this is a really, really talented squad that Scotland have going into this. They've got a obviously a very knowledgeable manager in Clark who has fi- figured out how to get Kieran Tierney and Robertson into the, the same squad and is also working with Scott McTominay, who's a breakout player at, at United over the last couple of years. And it just seems to knit quite nicely together. Are you positive going into the Euros? Yeah, yeah, I would be. I think I think you're right. I think there's some key individuals that are actually looking pretty decent, decent at international level. I think Tierney McTominay, like you say, Rock Robertson's obviously very experienced at that level. But you know, Tierney actually is so dynamic, and and now that he's got himself back fit, um, you know, his performance in the last international was just stunning in terms of his attacking from from uh, center half so yeah pretty pretty um optimistic as always i look at the weaknesses and there are still many in the squad um striker being an obvious one i mean Che adams looked like a really interesting player uh very busy very um you know sort of player that i imagine clark would really get the best out of because it was all around contribution willing to do a lot of the the, the dirty work off the ball and close down and press and hurry and, and chase chase lost causes, which, you know, playing for Scotland, you're going to have to do. Um, I think Dykes has looked probably more more like his QPR form rather than his early Scotland form, from what I saw in the first two internationals, so that would be a concern. But Bernie, you know, as I said, I, I live in Sheffield. Sheffield United is, I guess, my my English team. I've always gone to, to, to the lane over the years. Um McBurney is, I'm afraid, is, is an awful player, one of the worst <laughs> I've ever seen in my life, frankly. Um, and he has, he has been. I mean, it's just, it's just one of those players where, you know, at the championship level in England, um, you know, excellent, very effective, but just that that jump up a level is just it's just way beyond his capabilities. Mm-hmm. International football, sadly, is the same. Yeah, I think I agree with James. Fleck isn't really a, a like for like. Fleck's more of a deep lying playmaker. Um, he's he's quite little, but he's quite robust. He he does get stuck in, but he he won't he won't run beyond the striker. He won't really get into those ten positions that much. But he's got he's a creative deep passer. I would say he adds that little bit little bit of something different, I suppose. But I wouldn't equate him to Turnbull. Fraser gives the squad balance on both sides because he can actually play as a, as either a wing winger or even a wing back actually on both sides and Clark seems to like him as a support striker and he's been quite effective there so he can cover a number of positions so when you're thinking about a squad for a tournament uh, covering multiple positions is a, is a is a good thing I mean would you would you pick Turnbull so those those of us with a Celtic persuasion that making the case for Turnbull the question I would ask is you know would you would you pick him above McGregor and Armstrong uh, and I would say, no. you know, as with James, I would say, no, no, you wouldn't. And actually, just, just I was looking at his open play expected assists for Turnbull. So Turnbull's open play expected assists for Celtic this season is 0.256, which is decent. Um, but he's, le- he's, he's lower than Christie. He's well lower than um, uh, Rogic. So, you know, he's not he's not even of those creative midfielders if you, or even sort of hybrid 10-8 type players that we've got. Uh, Christie would actually be third out of those three in terms of creativity from open play. Now there is a case, especially for a team like Scotland, that you uh, you have him just for his almost his his special team capabilities of, from set plays, uh, and, and actually that would to me would be a strong argument uh, if you were going to be a team that, that based a lot of your um, like you know like Ireland, Ireland teams in the past, as you well know, and uh, you know, put a lot of stock by uh, you know set play uh, and, and really milking those those. And when you you know you've got a I don't know a great deliverer like uh, you know like uh, an Ian Hart or a or a Kevin Sheedy to pluck a couple of names from my generation, uh, you know that 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 definitely can pay off uh, in in these tight these tight group games these tight games. 
So, yeah, I think I think I would agree with everything James said, really. Sorry to be boring, but uh, also uh, quietly optimistic. But as I say, big weaknesses in that squad. The centre-half position worries the hell out of me. O'Donnell is, you know, God, God bless him, he's, he's a willing lad, but he, you know, he's desperately lacking the pace to play that wing-back role and, and, and the quality, frankly, on the ball as well. So d- really exposed on that right side defensively. Um, and striker, I just worry that there's not enough there. From a striking yeah. perspective, so they'd be the three main main concerns for me. Shane Duffy yeah. was Ireland's top goal scorer for a reason over the last couple of years. <laughs> well, so the, the one I'll add is um, <clears throat> I'm a, I'm a little worried about Marshall at that level. <clears throat> um, so, and I, I I'll echo uh, right wing back, which I think it'll be interesting. I, to me, it seems again, who knows? But to me, it seems pretty clear that. Uh, both with Clark's tendencies and then the relative strength of the opposition and the group uh, that they're going to basically set up to be hard to beat, you know, try to keep the games really close. And then kind of like they did to, to get qualified, you know, kind of nick a goal or get at the penalties and win that way. And um, that's what I think will be interesting as far as the decision he makes relative to keeper. And then at that right wing back position, because, uh, O'Donnell definitely fits with the hard to beat <laughs> mantra because I mean he, his pace isn't great, but he is a big guy and he's physical and he definitely puts a shift in. I mean he's I give him a lot of credit and he's one of those guys he runs like a madman for the entire time he's out there, puts a hundred hundred percent, leaves it all out on the field. Um, but would he go with Frazier or maybe uh, Forrest is ready by then or you know closer to hundred percent fit? if they want to try and get a little bit more uh, attacking presence out there. Um, so I think that'll, that'll be an interesting call. That might be one of the, the, the pivot calls. You can kind of get a sense as far as what his risk at, appetite is and how much it's kind of batting down the hatches and catch somebody on the counter or maybe a set piece. Uh, Cause that, I mean, that England team's loaded, um, not terribly well managed from what I've seen, but uh talent wise pr- pretty loaded so uh i suspect you know even i think it's the czech republic and who, who's the other team the other team yeah, croatia croatia is good to yeah so i mean that's a tough group um so you know being more pragmatic and hard to beat's probably the smart way to go mm-hmm. uh, which again right. comes back to would a guy like turnbull really i'm not sure where he fits in that i see i think there was i don't know i've not heard anything recently but the, one of the coaches i think it was the polish coach was lobbying to have uh, an expanded squads from 22 to 25, uh, which actually makes a lot of sense because if they're going to have to fly people in, if there's any sort of COVID alerts or right. anything like that, then right. you know having having that 25 might just be logistically a more sensible thing to do. So if you got up to 25, then maybe you, you bring along a Turnbull because, he, like I say, I think his, his special team abilities, uh, yep. you know, in terms of set police play, is something you might want to you know might want to consider. Yeah. Yeah. The hard debate thing is an interesting one because obviously that debate is raging in Ireland at the minute. Stephen Kenny's come in and he's trying to change the identity of the Irish team. But it's almost a question now is it better when you work with the players three weeks, four weeks out of the year to have a, a hard debate side that are easy to coach in a couple of days? Then try coach an identity off a side and, you know, bring, bring these players in. But Clark is certainly a man that you would trust to make a team hard to beat because of what he did in his coaching career before this. So I will be supporting Scotland at this Euros because of what uh, the state of Irish football is like. So I want to see Scotland doing well. Hopefully they they beat England as well, because I mean, that, that's all that re- people really care about, really. <laughs> like Scotland, Scotland, are they going to win the Euros? Probably not. But if they beat England... I mean that's it's worth getting to the Euros for that alone. So well, that would what, actually be that would be a, an atypical Scottish um, campaign in a finals would be that they beat England and lose the other two games and don't qualify. <laughs> <laughs> that would be absolutely classic Scotland. <laughs> and an England team like like you said that is absolutely stacked as well. So I, I'm I'm re- I'm rooting for Scotland anyway. Hopefully they they do well and uh, Clark brings a bit of pride back to the the Scottish jersey in this uh, this campaign. So Alan, I'll give I'll give you the best of luck going into the Euros. We're going to be back 
tomorrow previewing the Livingston game. So depending on when when you're listening to this podcast, this is the pre this is the review, and we're going to be previewing the Livingston podcast as well. So that should be available in the usual spots as well over the next coming coming days. Alan James, thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, we'll chat to you later. Progress is a game of inches. And at Luray Caverns, an inch can take 120 years. Come see what four million centuries worth of progress looks like. Luray Caverns. What will you discover? Your AC works overtime all summer, so be sure to replace your old air filters with new Filtry air filters. They recommend updating HVAC filters at least every three months all year round. So order your Filtry air filters today at Filtry.com. Let's clear the air.